Imagine a world you're thrilled to be living in. Imagine telling your children and your grandchildren that in this time and in this place, we came together. Imagine change unconstrained by our individual understandings of what's possible. This is all of us on WNHH 103.5, New Haven's independent radio station, streaming live at WNHH.org. I'm Greg Grinberg. Today we're talking about making policing in New Haven better for everyone who lives here. My guests are Caprice Mendez, Strategic Program Manager at the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven, and Holly Tucker, a New Haven activist for policing reform. We'll be talking about LEAD, which stands for Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion, a model started in Seattle and now being replicated across the country. And we'll also be talking about the CERB, which stands for the Community Executive and Review Board, which we've spoken about previously on the show. And we'll also be talking about other efforts to make New Haven the example we all know it can be. Caprice, welcome to the program, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me here, and it's Caprice Taylor, man. That's just want to make sure I, I honor my dad, too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And Holly, thanks so much for being back here on the program. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this show is, is ultimately about what I, what, I, what I like to call kind of living well is the best revenge, kind of, you know, or to put it in a different way, living well is sort of the best kind of activism. And that's kind of been the uniting theme uh, throughout all the episodes of our show, whether we're talking about free public internet access or we're talking about policing reform or electoral reform. It's really about how can we make the individuals and communities of New Haven um, the happiest that they can be so that this community can be the example that it can be for the rest of the country and the rest of the world. So today, to start with, I wanted to talk about LEAD and your experiences, Caprice. I know that you were a uh, one of the cohort of 12 New Haven residents who visited Seattle and actually toured the LEAD program. And I'd love to hear about that. And if you could sort of introduce the community here of listeners to to what LEAD is, sure. that would be great. And the name Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion Initiative throws it a little off because it's really about public health. It's really about mental health. And uh, mental illness and addiction is more common th- than what we think. People who are diagnosed with mood or anxiety disorders are twice as likely to have a drug use disorder, uh, drug abuse, or they're dependent on uh, a substance. And right now, our jails are filled with people who should really be getting um, health care instead of being incarcerated. Absolutely. And so we have about 45% of folks who go to prison or are, are in jail. 45% of them have a mental health issue or substance abuse issue, and they're not getting the proper care. And unfortunately, here in New Haven, we have people who just come in and out of jail and are still not getting the proper care and just traumatized even more. Absolutely, because when you think about it, incarceration is probably the least therapeutic environment. It's at least among the least therapeutic environments exactly. you could possibly imagine. Exactly. And so if we really want to create a healthy, loving community, we really need to think about how we can look out for those who are having a hard time right now, even looking out for themselves mm-hmm. and can't get the support that they need. So LEAD is really about cutting the rearresting issue and getting them with a warm handoff to a case manager 
who can provide them access to mental health support, as well as looking at what other issues they might need. Is it housing? Is it a pair of shoes? We can't promise housing, mm-hmm. um, but in Seattle, when we visited Seattle, there are people engaged in LEAD, and they were on a waiting list for housing of over six years. Mm-hmm. But that was hope for them, hope to stabilize their life in a way that they've been struggling on their own. And then LEAD provides a team of support. Part of that team includes mental health professional, other resources in the community, could be the business owner, the neighbors, even family members. They can refer someone to lead, mm. including the police. So mm. right now, um, here in New Haven, if there's an altercation, right, the police will show up. Mm. And what uh, the process is, they may arrest the person, but there's not more that can happen for that person. Lead, in terms of services that ter- can actually help them. Exactly. Right. And lead develops relationships. LEAD is it's implemented in Seattle and in other other parts of the country. Exactly. And LEAD develops those relationships where case managers, social workers, um, even the liaison for the business community and the police and the state prosecutor's office all sit in the same table more than once a month to talk about these are the people in our community that are having a hard time. How can we make sure they get a real shot at shifting their own lives around with the support. Right. So maybe what would be great just for listeners who haven't had the opportunity to attend any of the community management team meetings to hear your presentation on lead, it might be great just to hear the example of sort of the, you know, the, the case example of, of, you know, an individual who um, was diverted from the usual um, criminal justice mill and actually did get what they need um, through, you know, through the lead program in Seattle. Sure. Uh, We spent four days out in Seattle and we had an opportunity to talk to the actual social workers, caseworkers, state prosecutor's office and police members and community members engaged in LEAD. And the actual people who were able to benefit, um, timing didn't allow for us to sit with them, Mm -hmm. but they brought their stories. And that day in one of the monthly Uh, table meetings where all the key stakeholders, all the key partners sit around this table once a month. They actually know the name of the person who sits and stands on such and such corner and talking about them in terms of how are they doing? It's not, let's arrest them. It is, how are they doing? How can we help each other to make sure they get the need, their needs met? And One particular person, I can't remember his actual name, but I'll call him Joe. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were saying how Joe was living out on the street. And Joe was so charismatic. Mm. He, people loved him. The Mm. minute you you talked to Joe, he was so charming that you became his best friend. Mm. And they were like, Joe had a caseworker. And the caseworker said, I can't work with Joe. It's not that I don't like him. It's because he's too smart for his own good. Mm -hmm. We go to a substance abuse treatment therapy session and he'll talk and talk and he'll tell the other guys what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. But then Joe doesn't do what he says. Mm. And so he knows all the right things. He knows how to motivate other people, but then he won't do it for himself. 
And Joe's it's kind of a fairly common human problem, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. And we're we're good at giving advice, but not taking our own advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were saying, um, you know, Joe had a substance abuse issue, and he was also homeless, and he couldn't maintain a job. People would give him jobs, right? But because he was that charming, but then he wouldn't be able to um, maintain the job, mm-hmm. and so he lived with instability. So the caseworker passed Joe on to another caseworker and he was not giving up on him. So six years later, and lead isn't a miracle uh, pill. Right. And I mean, it's it's a long arc program. It's a long arc program Mm -hmm. based on harm Mm -hmm. reduction model that if you mess up, we're not going to kick you out of the program, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. If someone has a drug addiction problem, they fall out of treatment it's it's a, a cry for help to have the treatment still available for them. Right. And so Joe um, had a hard time. And six years later, um, he actually got first time ever his driver's license. Wow. First time ever. And he was already 30 something. Mm-hmm. First time ever bought a car. Um, he was sober for already over a year. Mm-hmm. And having a car, having a driver's license, he he was able to, you know, um, look for work where he couldn't geographically, and he was excited about his new life. Mm-hmm. Having been sober for like a year, having gotten his driver's license, and so the caseworker announced to everyone how Joe had his driver's license, and the uh, police chief said, "Can you tell Joe to come to the precinct?" And I want to see his driver's license because I, I've known I pulled him over when he wasn't supposed to be driving in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw him in his in a car. Mm-hmm. And so I know his story. Mm-hmm. I know his story. And then she said, um, and I know that he wanted to get his license years ago and he finally did. And so I want to buy him a coffee. <laughs> hmm, that's so great <laughs> yeah and and so it was like the relationship right with the community shifts and there was a police well, officer you're, you're creating a real relationship in yes. the first place which seems like the first fundamental change yes mm-hmm. and to get in the lead program um now seattle has a wait list mm-hmm. and you could only get on the wait list on a green light day versus a red light day mm-hmm. and so the green light day um this police officer is saying when lead now that lead is in town in Seattle, we have people chasing our car running after our our police car so that they can get into the lead program. Wow. And they were like before people used to run away from me Mm. (laughs) and now with lead, they're running towards, towards us. Right. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. I mean, so I want to, um, I want to just talk a little bit about the mechanics just to give, um, you know, v- listeners an idea of how the program works, like what, what it is that we're actually talking about. So, um, so first of all, you went out to Seattle. It wasn't just you. It was, it was, there were 11 other people from the community, including police officers, right? And, yes. um, and employees at the state's attorney's office. And yes. So there's already a coalition in New Haven of people who are interested in, in this type of model. Right. So I'm, I'm curious to, to hear kind of how the program actually works, like from the moment when someone might have in the past been arrested, 
what happens instead. Mm-hmm. And so um, th- all the uh, key partners that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. they collectively, including with community members, define what the criteria is to get into the LEAD program. So first of all, this is not a one-size-fits-all program, Correct. right? It's not like you just take the LEAD stamp and start stamping around the, the, the map no. of the country. So if we were to do it here in New Haven, it would be as New Haven wants it in many ways. Yes, mm-hmm. with key elements that have to be there in order to call itself LEAD. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so one of the key aspects is the person can't have committed a felony. Okay. And uh, there, there are certain criteria in terms of um, whether or not a person can get into LEAD. I'm not the criteria expert, so I won't go further into there. Sure. But uh, the community also has a say. And so um, in another city, for example, um, one of the criteria, aside from having mental health issues or substance abuse issues, there's also a low-income threshold as well. Right. And um, the police, with the state prosecutor's office, um, as a result of going out to Seattle had to have an agreement where the police, instead of arresting someone, could actually refer someone into the lead model. Right. So they're not even arrested in the first they're place. Not there are no charges filed or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's so, there, so there's not a criminal record being created or added to, as exactly. the case Exactly. And the situation now is, most likely, it would lead to an arrest record. Here in New Haven, or, in New or, Haven or in most parts or of the country. Or in most parts of the country. Mm-hmm. So as a result of the trip out in Seattle the state prosecutor's office had to agree to a different way of doing things. And in order for it to work here in Connecticut, it had to be uh, before booking someone. Right. Some places lead, they book you, but they don't arrest you. Mm-hmm. In order for it to work here in Connecticut, it's pre-booking and pre-arrest. Right. Which will allow for a lead to see the light of day. So if there's an altercation, um, they check whether or not um, what the uh, criminal, if there was a criminal record mm-hmm. of the individual, and if the individual meets the criteria that was set forth, but with the state prosecutor's office, the police, and community, then they can get referred into the lead program. And ideally, it would be a warm handoff. The police, if there was an altercation, the individual, they see that they uh, can use some support around mental health or substance abuse. There's already an established relationship with a care provider, and the police can bring them over to the care provider. In some cities, uh, the care provider comes to where the police is. Right. And um, New Haven is small enough um, that they're still working out those details. And the funding of the care provider, um, I believe it's like Medicare, Medicaid. That can subsidize the cost. And in the meantime, saving the city money around jail time, lost wages. Currently, people get um, arrested and they have to wait in trial and they could be sitting in jail for a while, uh, losing jobs, um, not being able to pay you know, support for families and children. And so LEAD stops that cycle and ends up being a very major cost saver, aside from just doing the right thing. Right. 
And I think that's so interesting how so often doing the right thing actually does lead to saving government funds, government expenditures. And I think there's also a lot of interesting parallels here between the way the LEAD program works and the Community Executive and Review Board, which we can talk about in a little bit. Um, I want to switch gears here just for a second um, and talk to you, Holly, about um, about your... Um, we had you on the show um, several months ago, and... Um, we uh, and we we talked about your story, and I wanted to have you back on the show and check in with you and hear how it's going. Um, um, well, since the show last, um, I've just been on this journey um, in the with the court system. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted me to plea um, to something that I did not do, which you know I. I told them I'm not going to do that. Right. I mean, in the, um, then the backstory for you know for listeners is that you know you were you were essentially attacked by by two police officers and that was caught on camera and correct. and then they and then they filed charges against you, which is sort of a, a fairly common kind of pattern correct. that we see. You know, yeah. they charged me with assaulting an officer, um, resisting two two counts of resisting, um, interfering. Um, the original ticket, which was a uh, disobeying an officer's traffic signal, mm-hmm. um, and they gave me possession and of marijuana, mm-hmm. um, which they it was a small amount, and they um, dropped it down to an infraction. Mm-hmm. So going back and forth to court, um, maybe the seventh time of going to court, they dropped the assault on an officer charge and the resisting. So now I'm, you know, they wanted me to plead to the interfering and then the infraction, which I told them I'm not going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when on September 10th, when I was pulled out of my car and slammed to the ground by two officers, um, you know, that had nothing to do with the marijuana that they found afterwards. Um, it had nothing to do with resisting or interfering with what, you know, um, them trying to disrespect me and getting to my car and Hmm. drag me out for what, you know? Um, So I wanted to be put on the trial list. Mm -hmm. Um, I was told uh, maybe three weeks ago that um, they wanted to um, have me just plead to to the infraction. Hmm. Um, You know, and and in the meantime, a week later, I got a call um, telling me that the officer that was involved, McDermott, didn't didn't agree with me just um, playing to an infraction because of my activism um, around my case and going on the radio the first time that I was on your radio. And did she actually said that, that that, that was actually, the reason? Specifically, she actually said that was the reason. Hmm. Um, so now I'm back on the trial list. Um, so I'm going through that, but, you know, I'm I'm much stronger now, so... I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not worried anymore. You know, I, the anxiety that they caused, um, you know, that I'm still dealing with now. Um, it's unfair that I have to go through this, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm a fighter, so I'm still going to fight. And that's what I'm going through right now. In mm-hmm. the pro- and, and in that process of going through all of this, the chief didn't help me. The mayor didn't help me. You know, no one helped me. Mm-hmm. No one, no one <laughs> held these police accountable. Right. So I'm going to continue to fight. Mm. I'm not going to just lay down and, and allow them to kick me. No, right. I'm no, it's not going to happen. So yes, that's and that's what I'm going through. But in the meantime, I'm still going to graduate college. 
Then you're not graduate on Thursday. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That's and, awesome. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm a single parent and that's my life. Mm-hmm. You know, they interrupted my life. Yeah. And I want them to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's what's so important for the entire community to understand is that right. this is not just something that happens one night and then it's over. Exactly. Yeah. I've been I've been going through this since September 10th of 2016. Mm. The, yeah. the amount of stress that they put me under, the amount of stress they put my child under, my 13 year old child. Mm. And she's been amazing the way that she's responded to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. She's amazing. From what I can see. <laughs> she is amazing. Mm. The, the amount of stress they put my mom under. Mm. You know what I'm saying? The, my family, my entire family, it was just, it was just a mess. And, and people don't understand mm-hmm. that I'm, go- it, like you said, it's not, it's not just a one day thing. I'm dealing mm. with this for a long time. I don't know when it's going to go away. Right. You know? The post-traumatic stress. When will that go away? The anxiety. When will that go away? Right, and and being and why, forced to to constantly think about it exactly because they're dragging you through this process exactly. And I mean, I think that's that's I think uh, something that the community as a whole also would really benefit from understanding is that a community isn't just a collection of individuals, you know, bouncing around. We are the connections between us are real, and we are a life form in and of ourselves, and so. To have something like this happen is is the community really stabbing itself? Why why would we permit this to continue? That's a that's a great question. Um, I don't know if I have the answer for it, but <laughs> I, I don't know if, I don't know if any of us do. But I, <laughs> I, I I look at I look at lead and I look at the community executive and review board and I and I think to myself that this is um, the, the need for reform is is completely obvious. It's brought home by. By your story um, and and your your courage in telling that story, I mean, I I really again can't tell you how much I admire you for coming on the show in the first place and and um, and telling your story not just here but in community meetings and it's you're an inspiration Thank and you. <laughs> and and I know that you're not this is not something that happened to just you this is something that we're that we see as a pattern it, it happens, happens to a lot of people you know. You know, and I feel for everyone. It's mm. not just my story. Mm. It's everyone's story. Mm-hmm. And that's what some people may not understand. It's mm. not all about me. Right. It's never been a just about me. Mm. Right. It's about these officers need not to do this to the next person. Right. And the next person. And mm. I don't even want to think about the children that it's happened. You know what I'm It's It's just out mm. of hand. No, absolutely. I mean, and we and we had and, and there and I'm thinking back to a community conversation um, that I hosted with Mayor Harp, and and you were there and you told your story there. And what we heard from the mayor was, um, for the most part, um, a, a, a lot about how this is New Haven is the best police force in Connecticut. It's the best trained police force, et cetera. And you know, we kind of heard the sort of the common refrain that you hear a lot, which is that most police officers aren't out there doing this kind of thing, and of course I want to believe that. Of course I want to believe that most police officers are there for the right reasons, doing the right, right. things. Um, and I'm even willing to believe that. Um, and none of that, nothing that the mayor said, and none of, none of all of that sort of feel-good things that you can say change the fact that this should never happen and we need reform to make sure that it never happens. So we're, we're not talking about being better than anybody else in Connecticut and just being satisfied with that. And I think that's what's so cool about the fact that, you know, we are coming together as a community to talk about various um, 
versions of the Civilian Review Board, and we can all disagree about which which version we like best. There have been three um, ordinances proposed, um, but the fact that we are coming together as a community to um, to debate um, and hopefully um, engage in a really in a vigorous intellectual debate about the different you know uh, pluses and minuses of each of each version of the CRB. Um, in, including the community executive and review board, that being one of those three, um, I think is is only a good thing. And I think the fact that you, Caprice, and and the eleven others went out to check out the lead program is is a it, the, these are all steps in the right direction to get to to having this never happen, which I think has to be our goal. Right. It, and, and if I can, sorry, also please chime yeah. in quickly. Um, I spoke with an officer recently, and I just want to say this. Um, because I want people to know that I, I, I know that not all officers are bad. Mm -hmm. I do know that, but I do, like I said, I want the ones that are bad to be held accountable or to be out. Mm -hmm. Um, so I spoke with an officer, um, Roy Davis, and I, I, mm -hmm. I want to commend him and I want to thank him and, you know, just let him know that I really appreciate what he said to me. So I'm going to read it. Um, yeah, please. he said, I know your situation with, was negative with us. While I can't affect that event, I can say that we recruit from the human race. So just like life, you can get some examples and some not so great. Try not to judge us all for the actions of a few. Mm. Most of us, including myself, signed up to be a positive beacon in the, in the lives of others, not to degrade, insult, or set back anyone else's life. And my response was, you made me smile. I mm. truly appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And I thank you. Mm. You know, and it, 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 it made me feel it, it, it made me feel a little sense of relief, you know, and um, maybe I can. It, I don't know, I can let some let go of some of the anger, you mm -hmm. know, but I still want them held accountable at the end of the day. And absolutely. And what we heard in Seattle, uh, the police, one police officer who is part of LEAD said, when Lead came into town, that was when I was able to be the police officer I always dreamt of being, helping mm. people instead of just arresting people. Mm. And so uh, with Mr. Roy, the police officer, we hope Lead will support more of that type of policing. Right. Mm. Um, and I also want to invite the community on May 24th, Wednesday. This, this coming this Wednesday. This coming Wednesday mm -hmm. from 6 to 8 p.m., there's a community meeting to learn more about LEAD, but more importantly, to share mm -hmm. um, how LEAD should go about um, seeing the light of day in the downtown area and in the hill section, which there's um, uh, an effort to try to do a pilot model in those two parts of New Haven, where um, those two areas were selected based on the number of arrests and incidences that would fit the LEAD model. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that the fact that you were able to have that conversation with uh, with Sergeant Davis, mm -hmm. um, and the fact that conversations like this are happening, where it's not just about presenting lead as some static thing to the community, but to but to say this is an example of something that we can do, and there are we have a lot of flexibility, um, and. You know, and if we want even more flexibility, we don't even have to call it lead. You know, we can do whatever we want, but even within calling it lead, there's a lot of flexibility here. This is this is not a one size fits all. It's much more of a choose your own adventure. So I see a lot of opportunity here in these conversations around policing reform that very much include police officers. Um, 
and that conversation that you had gives me a lot of faith that that um, that those conversations can be productive and and um and and we also have in the studio today we've got Barbara Fair. Um, Barbara's been a longtime activist for better policing and justice reform in general, not just here in New Haven but around the country for for a long time. And incidentally, you also happen to be Holly's mom as well. <laughs> so, Barbara, it's great to have you back on the show as well. Hi. Um, I just wanted to briefly. I was listening to the conversation, especially around lead, because. Um, I really want to see something different happen in New Haven. Um, one of the things um, that was mentioned, Caprice was uh, saying, is the um, level of um, mental illness um, within our prisons, and 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 they have the stats at forty five percent. Right. Um, I offer as a, a clinical social worker that the reality is there's a it's a lot more people mm. with mental illness in. In prisons, uh, many of them may not have had mental illness when they went in, but they certainly had it by the time they came out. Right. You can't put people in a cage and right. and and treat them all kinds of ways, dehumanize, degrade them mm-hmm. in all kinds of manners, and then somehow think that there's not a mental health problem. Right. What happens is maybe 45% of those that are diagnosed and those other people are just totally ignored and, and treated in bad ways. So... While I have the opportunity to talk about mental illness, I just wanted to mention that um, next Wednesday, uh, May 31st, um, we're going to have a statewide campaign. Uh, It's a rally um, Mm -hmm. for people to come together and fight to have uh, this policy um, around solitary confinement. My my goal is to end it. Everybody's not there. Mm -hmm. But um, we at least want to get some policy that's going to start to significantly reduce the the, uh, practice of uh, solitary confinement, which uh, nationally the UN has has already defined it as torture and it's something that we do on a regular basis in prison. So that's why I said some people may go in um, with good mental health, but you're certainly not going to come out that way when these practices are allowed. So next Wednesday, uh, the 31st at 5.30 p.m. at the Capitol, there's going to be a rally to try to push that uh, that bill. And also at the bill number is uh, House Bill 7302 for solitary confinement. And the other bill we're going to be pushing is a bill uh, offered by uh, Robin State Representative Robin Porter. Right. Uh, and it's about police accountability. And that House bill is... 6663. And so we really need people to push, push, push for these because many times, if you look at the makeup of the legislators, the very few come from the urban centers. But if you look at the prison population, and all mostly all come from the urban centers Harford, New Haven, Bridgeport, and Waterbury. And so when we try to propose something to bring relief to prisoners, you know, all these other communities don't really care about that because these prisons have done nothing but benefited their their communities. I remember years ago when Summers first uh, when, when, when we when we first heard about prisons in Connecticut, there was one prison with Summers and they had one McDonald and they had a uh, grocery store. Mm-hmm. You go through Enfield now. Mm-hmm. That's a model city. I mean, they have everything from movies theaters, all kinds of shopping centers, car, automobiles, everything. Mm -hmm. And that comes out of off the backs of all of these people that they keep in cages every day. Right. So when we don't talk about mental illness, we really need to focus on this. I just wanted to put Mm -hmm. that out there. This is a statewide campaign. We really want as many people to come out and support it. Whether you have a loved one in prison or not, it's not about us as an individual. It's about our our people and the generations of people that are becoming mentally um, disturbed because of an incarceration. 
And mm-hmm. so when I talk about lead, uh, one of the first problems I have with that is one of the criteria is not having a felony. And then you look at in the urban centers and how many people don't have a felony. So how many people won't even have the opportunity? Right. So I look at all these these great things that are supposed to be happening. But I also am looking in, in the background at, OK, so who's really going to be able to uh, enter into this program? So and that's that, something we need to talk about. And actually, for sure. And actually, because I'm not um, the criteria expert, it's certain felonies. So mm-hmm. I, I'd like to like a murder. I know for sure. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, the others, I am. And not drug, drugs may be mm-hmm. one of those felonies because it generally is. And, and, and that actually, locks a lot of people out. And actually, right. the. There is a criteria, and that's defined by the community. So drug possession is allowed. Mm -hmm. And then the community with the police and the state prosecutor's office define how many grams. Mm -hmm. And so that was a discussion that um, we heard about the process in Seattle, defining the actual gram amount, Mm -hmm. um, because they distinguish between someone who has a drug addiction and they have drugs in their possession for their major addiction and then someone who's intended to sell and and they make their money their profits out of selling mm-hmm. versus a user mm-hmm. and, and so and when we look at that we have to remember if we if we look at the war on drugs we have those same kind of policies but look who the prisons are being filled with so right. we have to be careful if the, if the police and the prosecutors are getting to define who's possessing with uh, intent to sell and who just possessing, if they get to decide that, we pretty much know that the prison population is not going to change much. You can just look at, like, with the situation with my daughter, the uh, police get to bring all these charges, whether Mm -hmm. they're warranted or not. Right, the The dark side of discretion, essentially. The prosecutor supports them because they work together to get convictions, Mm -hmm. and so that leaves the person that's being charged with having to fight something that they never did. Right. So that's why a lot of times, like I tell people, I like reforming the system, but I've been decades of reforming the system and I haven't seen it really do too much of anything but tweak something. Mm -hmm. So that's why right now my whole thought process is that we have to dismantle the system. And I know a lot of people are not there and that's my struggle to to keep this in my mind. This is what I want to do, but I have to work with what the people are ready to do. Well, well, let's talk about that and, and sort of take a step back and think about that for a second. Because, you know, the, the metaphor that, that jumps out at me when, when you say that is sort of is, is looking at the history of medicine as it evolved over the last 200 years. That it used to be that whatever, whatever ailed you, scalpels and leeches were going to be involved in the, in the treatment in some way you right. know, back in the 1700s. And, you know, people forget that, you know, that, that, that George Washington was actually kind of killed by his doctors because they they drained six units of blood um and you know they and he had a cold essentially you know he mm-hmm. would have been okay but it was like oh this is our this is our first president this is you know and we, this is we, the only tools we have to right. work with and we got to do you know we got to do everything for him and so and and of course the revolution that happened isn't just that we you know stopped using scalpels and bleaches for everything but but that 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 science became the, the key driver of of new medical therapies and what I see happening here is, you know, is that is that two hundred years later, we w- w- the legal profession, it, particularly as it applies to criminal justice, really hasn't undergone the same transition. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not doing things that are based on evidence, and and the, and the set of tools is equally limited. Instead of scalpels and leeches, it's 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 incarceration, and right. and you just get to choose: is it is it solitary or not? Or you know, you have the various like 
different kinds of incarceration, but that's mm-hmm. that's the tool. It's like you have you got fines and incarceration, right. just like scalpels and leeches. And in Seattle, like in other cities, including New Haven, there's a disproportionate share of black, brown people in jails. Right. And uh, so the lead model came from a lawsuit. Um, the federal government came in and said there is a racial inequity in how you're implementing the laws that exist and you have black brown going to jail much higher numbers right so they were forced um and the aclu was at the table to define the criteria so getting to what barbara fair said that's really where one of the areas where how that is defined will indicate whether or not there's racial equity in lead without the the proper definition of what's possession and what's for use for sale intent to sell or intent for use that will determine whether or not we also support racial equity and having a fair chance in life or make it worse and justice should never be about um having to getting the right judge or the right prosecutor or who the prosecutor likes and who they don't like and who who's active and i don't like their activism and Right. And and I'm upset that she's talking publicly about th- that's not what justice is supposed to be about. Absolutely. But that's what justice is about. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see all the, the inequity that right. that we have in our system, because it's not about equity. It's not about justice. It's about re- revenge more than anything. It's more retributive system than anything else. Retributive system mm-hmm. than anything else. And right. that needs to stop. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you talk about wholesale systemic change, that doesn't sound crazy to me. In but the- it does to a lot of people, believe me. Mm-hmm. It does to a lot of people. They can't imagine this big mass system falling. Mm-hmm. But it can fall because it stays the way it is because we give it the power. Right. We don't fight back. Right. Like a lot of people in my daughter's case, they would have already just pled guilty. I mean, just so they can don't have to keep running back and forth to court. She's been running back and forth to court for almost a year. Right. And they get to a place where they say, okay, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to drop all this nonsense. We're going to just charge you with this because this, this is a reality. Mm-hmm. And then the police come to me, oh, well, I'm angry. Mm-hmm. And so now we're not going to go with that. I, it's insane to me mm-hmm. that we have this kind of system. Insane. And, right. and we haven't even talked about the bail bond system. Another <laughs> mm-hmm. right. you know show. So, yeah. <laughs> and so people end up in jail. They're not guilty they haven't been proven guilty, so essentially they're still innocent, but then they can't make bail. And meanwhile, they're losing their jobs. If they had um, custody of their children, they could have lost their children, all because they couldn't afford bail. Right. And they didn't even go to trial to see whether or not they were even guilty to begin with. So people plea, and then they have a criminal record, and they're punished for the rest of their lives. Right. And that's what our... Um, system looks like today and then see if you look at bail reform we've been fighting that up in harford also we get to a place okay we're going to change bail then the union steps in they're upset they don't want to do this so all of a sudden everything's changed it's just like this fight that we've had with solitary confinement the same thing the commissioner was on top of it everything Mm -hmm. everything was running smoothly they mentioned something to the union all of a sudden the union don't like it and now we're back to square one this is not how justice is supposed to work. And and to be clear, what unions are you referring to? Well, the police union, the correctional unions, right. those okay. are the unions that right now uh, are the greatest barriers to us actually ever changing this system. Right. 
And this is kind of one of those odd instances of intersectionality and sort of progressive values where, you know, normally, you know, progressives tend to be, you know, all about unions. But in this particular case, you know, if um, if we where I, how I feel about it personally is that, you know, un- unions are about the rights of of workers. You that's know, the way it started out. You know, it's, a, you know, it's, it, it, it's that's about compensation. That's mm-hmm. about that's about quality of work life. It, it's it's not about it's not about ensuring job security mm-hmm. if their job is fundamentally destructive to the community. That's it, right. It, that's where we need to have some, you know, some retraining mm-hmm. programs and and uh, redistribute the workforce a bit. And mm-hmm. I'd love how you started this also by saying, you know, uh, calling <laughs> us to think outside of the box, mm-hmm. like creating the world that we want to live in and the state prosecutor's office and the police who came to Seattle with us, what that allowed for them was to think outside of the box Mm -hmm. that they're used to. This is the way things get done. And you saw the will to want to do things differently. But then what do we do differently? So in literally the Seattle state prosecutor stated to Connecticut's, we need to be thinking outside the box. You cannot do things business as usual. You have to be creative and and then see what the goal is and work from there. Absolutely. I mean, in the community executive and review board that, that you, Barbara, and I also, you know, we personally worked on that. I mean, it is... It, it, is, a, it is a dramatic example, um, you know, of dramatic yes. change, mm-hmm. you know. And and necessary change, um, as as I see it. Um, but it's you know it's an example I think of you know a, a lot of different types of reform coming together. In other words, it's 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 accountability in individual cases that you were talking about, Holly. But it's also about um, creating uh, executive power, giving executive power over policing to the community, so that we can have very fine grained control over what the police do and what they don't do. And ultimately lead to uh, programming changes within policing that lead to to cultural changes, mm-hmm. and I think that that's um, you know so so when I when I when I think about kind of like the status quo, you know, it's it's one of these situations where you know the status quo the the the, the, the deeper you dive into the status quo, the crazier you realize it is. Yeah. And so you have to get to the question eventually of what's crazier: the idea that we might be able to to, to create radical change here in our own community and deciding how our own community is going to be policed uh, or the or the idea that we're going to allow this completely crazy system to continue the way that it is that's and, my frustration that i think that people are willing to rather than fight for that what they they see as crazy to me it's it's reality it's the most sane thing we could do but they see it as crazy and and they, so they push back against people like me and they call people like me and you crazy. Mm-hmm. But And so that's why we have the system that we have because like they'll talk about training, more training for police officers and that's going to make them better. You can't train somebody's heart not to be cold. You right. can't train that. Right. And, and and my thing is when, like one of the, the issues with policing, like they give people with military background some points to be a police officer. To me, that's a red flag because a lot of those people are bringing that war back home hmm. and they're ending up in our communities. And that's why you see people like the young man, 15 year old that just died. Mm-hmm. The officer was on the Rich force war. eight months. Hmm. He actually prob- obviously brought his war back home with him. Mm-hmm. So when he was confronted with who's supposed to be our enemy as far as America is, the first thing you do is shoot. Right. My, my thing is, if you're that afraid, you shouldn't be in policing. Go to stop and shop and get a job. 
That's working right. somewhere else. Right. I'm not going to accept the fact, oh, they were in fear. Well, I'm in fear, too, when yeah. you approach me. Right. And, and I know you have all these weapons to use against me and can Maybe say anything. And mm-hmm. then I got to go to court and fight it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure he was scared, too. Yeah. So you can't accept that, oh, they was in fear and say, well, you know, just let these people, you know, let them be at peace. Right. Because uh-huh. when you pull, when you get pulled over, what happens? Mm-hmm. What happened to me? You get dragged out of your car, slammed to the ground, arrested mm-hmm. in jail all night. Mm-hmm. $25,000 bail. So then you're in fear yeah, whenever you yeah. see the police you know, approach you now. Right. That's crazy. Absolutely. What are we supposed to do? Right. And, and, and for the police to be in a state of fear is, is absolutely <laughs> not the state that we need our police to be <laughs> Definitely in. Definitely not. You know? Right. Um, and so... And, and, and so, right, I mean, when we talk about the Community Executive and Review Board, what executive power does is it, I mean, it, it, it's, it, executive power is everything. It's, it, it, it's, it's everything from selection, from recruitment, who are we, where are we recruiting our officers from, mm-hmm. you know, the applicant pool, who are we selecting, how does the selection process work? Um, you know, and how do you change the culture and, right. where the police officers are not going to automatically support the, uh, their officers in blue, even though principally they may realize that what they did was wrong, but they're not going to ever come out publicly and say that. Right. That needs to change. We need to create a, we need to create um, incentives and right. conditions under which officers can come out and say that. Just like in the airline industry, where you can come out and and, and a pilot can come out and admit that, that a mistake was made, and they're they're not mm-hmm. reprimanded for that; they're celebrated for right. that. Yes, mm-hmm. and I really and like the fact how you read that text from Mr. Roy, the police officer, mm-hmm. Holly, um, because we have well-intended people who operate in systems, Mm -hmm. but the systems were not set up to support quality of life and equity and justice, racial justice, and having the right people inside willing for reform and the people from the outside saying, we're going to work with you on that. I think change can happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do have good folks in the inside and we have good folks in the outside. Mm-hmm. And let's see what New Haven is willing to do. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, we need some of those good folks on the inside, those we good cops to speak out publicly and say, <laughs> right. you know what? Uh, this is my brother and I love him, but what he did was dead wrong and we need to do something about it. That's right. And just to just to even just address the patterns that, mm-hmm. that exist. You know, I mean, I open up this show every every time I do the show, I open it up by asking everyone, you know, it, the participants in the discussion and our listeners to imagine change beyond the scope and limitations of, of our own individual understandings of what's possible. I think that you're exactly right. What we need is, as you know, we need community members to come out of the woodwork and say, because what, what I can't possibly imagine as an individual is how many other people in this community agree with us right now. I mean, right. there are four people sitting in a room, but there are many, many other people in this community that agree with us. I know that that's true. Um, we need to, we need to identify one another and have this really great, robust conversation around exactly around how we want policing reform in New Haven to work. Can I just say that I am just so proud of my daughter from mm-hmm. where she has become, mm-hmm. from where she has come from September 10th. I mean, totally devastated and traumatized her and her daughter. And I'm just so proud that she is able to stand now firmly and say, you know what? I am not going to fall down and cater in and give in to this. I am going to stand strong and become stronger as a result. Is I'm just so proud of you. I really am. <laughs> and I have Absolutely. to say, um, Absolutely. you know, it goes to a lot of um, following your footsteps as well. Mm. And your son, Sheldon, came out with us to Seattle as well. Mm. And um, 
And I think that it also shows how a family can make a difference in a community. And so thank you both for your courage and commitment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ditto. <laughs> so the conversation, this, is, this has been an amazing conversation, and the conversation amongst the community will continue on Wednesday, um, 6 p.m. at City Hall. Um, Caprice, is that right? Um, it, what room do you know? Three, uh, room three. Re- meeting room three, City Hall, 6 p.m. this Wednesday. Um, come on out, join the conversation. Um, next Wednesday. And, and make your voice heard. And next Wednesday at... We're going to be at the Capitol. At the, at the Hartford Capitol. Right. Okay. And in the Hill for May 31st at Betsy Ross from 6 to 8 for our lead as well. Awesome. And also, I would like to thank you, Greg. You're awesome. You're amazing. You're all of that stuff. <laughs> oh, thanks, Holly. I, thanks for having me. Thanks. Right back at you. I'm so, I so appreciate you. I so admire you for all this. This has been an episode of All of Us on WNHH 103.5, New Haven's independent radio station, streaming live at WNHH.org.